Hey, hey, Prime members, talking to you. You can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. I think mainly I wanted especially young women to know about this woman because she, her life lesson is if you're afraid, you will never succeed. Step out and do it. Follow your dreams. That's all cliche, but it's very true. And to me, that's the lesson that Harry Quimby offers the world is don't be afraid to do something that everyone else is telling you you can't do. I'm Michelle Miller, CBS Saturday Morning co-host. And this is CBS Morning's podcast. The name Amelia Earhart may ring a bell to many of you listeners as a pioneer for flying and women, but do you know the story of Harriet Quimby? Harriet was the first American woman to receive a pilot's license and the first woman to fly solo over the English Channel. While her name may have faded from memory, a former colleague of mine aims to change that with a new book. Former CBS News correspondent Don Daler's book, Fearless, Harriet Quimby, A Life Without Limits, tells the life story of the history-making aviator and international celebrity. Don, so glad you're back with us. Uh, So good to be here. (laughs) Don, you've written so many books uh, across the spectrum. What was it about Harriet's story that made you decide to write about her? You know, Michelle, it was honestly just because nobody knew about her outside of aviation historians. And this is a woman who should be mentioned in the same breath as Amelia Earhart or Bessie Coleman or any of the other great aviators in the in the early days because she did so much to advance aviation, but she also was this fascinating character who did so many things even outside of aviation. Um, Harriet came from nothing. You know, she was born into poverty in Michigan on literally on a dirt farm. Uh, her father was a Civil War veteran. Um, The government gave these veterans 160 acres out west to encourage westward expansion, but they had to clear the land themselves. They had to make a go of it. After about nine years, they gave up and they moved to California. And that's where Harriet learned that she's actually quite a talent, a talented writer. And that launched her into a whole different career. But, you know, I just really felt like it was such a tragedy that we didn't know more about this woman. How did you discover her? I mean, you know, I love a good aha moment. Yeah. What was That's exactly what it was, honestly. You know, I I grew up on Air Force bases. I'm an Air Force brat. So I always loved flying and planes and things. I used to fly hang gliders. I flew a micro light aircraft in Africa when I was making wildlife films there so we could get 
shots of them from the air. So I've always been fascinated with it. And I was reading a, a, an obscure aviation journal years ago, I, I would say even decades ago. Uh, and I stumbled across one paragraph that mentioned Harriet Quimby. And I, I was stunned that I didn't know who this person was because I, I feel like I knew a lot about aviation and aviation history. Uh, so I did some research on her and there were just a few magazine articles about her, but not a whole lot was out there. So then I just, I decided I'm going to do something. So I launched into doing research. I, you know, went to libraries and government buildings and found census uh, reports and things like that. Ended up writing a screenplay that was optioned by a Hollywood producer, but he could never raise enough money to make the movie. So I stuck everything in a box and I carried that box around with me for years and years uh, until my agent finally decided, you know what, this is the book you should do. Don't do a novel, do this biography. This woman is incredible and the time is right to tell her story. So, so what's interesting about writing a biography on someone who is long gone and not much has been written about them is, you know, weaving in a little bit of, 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 you know, creative license, should we say, yeah. how, how much of it were you able to sort of, um, how much information were you able to glean from her life out of these limited resources and limited sources. It's a really great point. It was it was a, a major challenge for me, not only because um, it happened so long ago, she didn't have any children, she wasn't married, there were no relatives alive that I could talk to. Um, and it was, remember, I started this project at the beginning of the pandemic. So I wasn't allowed into the Smithsonian archives. I wasn't allowed into libraries. I couldn't travel to England. I couldn't do anything like that when I started this project. So thankfully, between the time when I first discovered her and now, a lot of these old newspapers were digitized. So I could go on different websites for New York Times, Boston Herald. Uh, there's a website called uh, Accessible Archives, which digitizes a lot of the major old newspapers. And I could find a lot of the articles from the contemporary times that, that really did a great deal in, in digging up who she was. But um, the, the tricky part with writing a biography, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I have to basically uh, record every single bit of information. I if you notice in the back of the book, there's a huge, I don't know if it's 50 pages, a huge segment on notes where everything I write in this book, I have to be able to attribute to that. So there wasn't a lot of creative license. I mean, I could, I could write and describe things as I imagine they were or as they are written about in these newspaper accounts and, you know, describing the Hempstead Plains of Long Island. I, I knew I could go back and see what it looked like before it was covered in highways and strip malls and things. Uh, but there wasn't a whole lot of, of, of license I could take. And in fact, one of the most intriguing questions that always comes up is, well, what about her love life? Here's this incredibly charismatic, beautiful woman who was in all of the society you know, activities and things, but there's never been anything written about uh, anyone she was with, man or woman. You know, it just wasn't, she wasn't in any of the gossip columns in that way. And, and my publisher, one of the first things she asked when she decided to launch this book was, well, what do we know about her love life? And I said, almost nothing. But then, thanks to Facebook, believe it or not, I found 
you right there because I'm I love the fact that your journalistic uh, sovereignty kind of kicked in and then you like yes pivoted I, to Facebook. I, I mean, how does that happen? Oh, anything, anything, any sources. Listen, I I went into you know there are these who's who in America gigantic compendiums at the libraries. I went in there and I tracked down all the Quimbies I could find and and wrote them. And a woman named Harriet Quimby wrote me back. She had her name? I had, she has her name. She is a distant relative, not directly related. I think she's like a second cousin twice removed or something, but her family named her after Harriet. And she said, I, you know, obviously I never met her. She died before I was born, but um, I, you know, I, I can just tell you that the family lore is that she was a pretty amazing woman, but through Facebook, I found the granddaughter of the man who taught Harriet how to fly. That was my next question. How do you go yeah. from humble beginnings as a farm girl to learning how to fly? Well, yeah, but I mean, so, so anyway, so this, this, I'll tell you that in a second, but th this man evidently was her lover for a while. And they gave me pictures of the two of them together. And they gave me a picture of a locket that she had given him with her picture inside it and an inscription on the outside. So that's about all the evidence I have that they had any kind of relationship. But so Harriet went from writing, she became a very popular columnist in the New York area for a, a publication called Leslie's Illustrated Weekly, which is like the People magazine of the day. And she was their drama critic, their women's issues critic, uh, women's issues reporter. She was a foreign correspondent. And she got an assignment in 1910 to cover one of the first air shows in America at Belmont Park in Long Island. Drove out there, she was one of the first women to drive a car and own a car, by the way. Uh, she drove out there on her own and she watched this exciting race that happened, decided then and there she wanted to learn how to fly and approached the guy who, who won that race and said, I want you to teach me. Because no other person, no other flyer, not the Wright brothers, not Glenn Curtis, not anybody was willing to teach a woman how to fly back then. They all refused. They said they're temperamentally incapable of flight. And Harriet said, no, I'm not. So she talked them into teaching her how to fly. She took lessons in, in, in secret out there. In fact, she designed an outfit where she looked kind of manly. She had a hood and, and, and her, her pants tucked into her boots. But being Harriet Quimby, who had a friend in the fashion industry, they designed this purple silk outfit where if she pulled a cord, it would flow into a gown whenever she wanted it to. And she was discovered by some reporters, including a New York Times reporter, when there was a minor accident was happening when she was taking her lessons. And the next day, the New York Times had the article, Woman in Trousers Learning How to Fly. <laughs> For shame. Yeah, I know. Oh, my goodness. I know. What a shock. I tell you, and then I would imagine he was absolutely amazed and wowed by her, and hence the romance. Yeah, yeah. Andre... Huppert is the man's name, and, and uh, who he was pretty amazing in and of himself, an incredible man, um, was one of the first to fly in Mexico. And in fact, a lot of the locals were so stunned by the sight that when he landed, they, they basically tore his plane to pieces to get parts of it because they thought it was like a religious relic, like he was an angel from heaven or something. And he had to run away to save himself. But he was, he was amazing, and he was a very good instructor. Um, one of the things that he taught Harriet, which she carried on the rest of her life, and actually it's it's a, a habit that all pilots have now, is that she would inspect her plane every nut and bolt and wire by herself 
before taking flight. It used to be mechanics. So the walk, the, the walk around, the walk around was something that she started. Wow. And yeah, she was. Very, it would take very a woman. Careful. It would take a woman to come up with that. Yes. Let me just triple check. Yes, but she also she believed that if you're careful, flying is safe for anyone. All the men pilots, all the real famous guys. They wanted to make it seem like, oh, we're very special. No one else can fly. We, it's one in a thousand men who can fly, and certainly no women can fly. And Harriet said, no, everyone can fly. If you're careful, if you learn, and if you know what you're doing, anyone can fly. And she was convinced that it would become something for the public to be able to enjoy. I have to tell you, a name that popped up, I don't know if there's any connection, but a name that popped up that kind of caught my eye was the Moisant yeah. name. Uh, prominent in this story, the Moisant family, uh, because the New Orleans airport yes. up until 2000 was was named the Moisant Field. Yes. It's now called, of course, uh, Louis Armstrong yeah. International Airport, thanks to a guy I married. But <laughs> that's another story. But tell me how important that meeting this family was. It was everything. Um, John Moisant was the man who won this exciting Statue of Liberty race where Harriet went to the Belmont Park uh, meet. That's where she saw tens of thousands of people in the crowd, but millions more watching on rooftops and door stoops and beaches all over the New York area watching these planes fly. And this man was incredibly brave. In fact, his background was he was, his family was very wealthy. They were American, but they had a plantation in El Salvador. They owned a bank in El Salvador. And the dictator at the time tried to take all that away from them. For So John Moisant actually took up arms against the government there and had a guerrilla uh, uh, army who fought the, the government of El Salvador until the U.S. Navy got involved and said, uh, you need to stop that now because we're trying to have diplomacy in Latin America. So can you do something else, please, or else we're going to blow you out of the water? And so he, he decided to look at aviation, became an incredibly brave, some would say reckless aviator. In fact, the reason the airport in New Orleans was named after him was because that's where he died. He died in a crash before he could teach Harriet how to fly. But his brother promised to keep his promise. And he, he arranged for Harriet to learn at their new uh, flight school at Hempstead Plains on Long Island. And John Moisson's sister, his little sister, Mattel, said, well, if you're going to teach her how to fly, you're going to teach me how to fly. And she insisted. So she became the second woman in the United States to get a pilot's license. Get out of here. No. <laughs> Harriet crossed the English Channel. She was the first um, to fly solo. Yeah. First to fly solo. Yeah. But but she crossed like the timing was just awful, right? Tragic. Tragic. That's the whole reason why she is not more famous. It's because... When she became the first woman to fly solo across the English Channel, men were still dying trying to do this. It was the most dangerous 22 miles on earth for people to fly because of the weather, of the, the choppy seas. If you put down, you might not be rescued. Um, and so she took on this endeavor back when it was still incredibly risky to do that. So Harriet flew across the English Channel, landed in France, ended up driving up to Paris, went to bed that night thinking, I've done it. I, I accomplished what I set out to do. The next morning, she opened the newspaper, no headlines about what she had done. The headline was, Titanic sinks 1,500 dead. 
every newspaper in the world was all about the Titanic. She did not get any of the publicity. She went back to the United States. There were no ticker tape parades, no speeches by politicians. Eventually, there was some news coverage about what she did after the fact. Not anything like what it would have been if, if they had covered it when she actually did it. And then she was dead in a crash two months later. Ah, that, that was probably the height of the irony of her yeah. story, that she died the same year of her greatest accomplishment, which was overshadowed. And then yeah. to die so tragic, I mean, to die in a crash. Yeah. And when you, when you think about like her achievements, did, did she ever get any recognition or credit during? She her- did. She did. She did at the time. Um, and, and what happened was that when she, well, to begin with, I, I need to, to underline the fact she was a very popular writer, columnist for Leslie's Illustrated Weekly. She had a following. She was quite famous because she was a so beautiful, but also people loved her articles. She was such a good writer, even though her education basically was in a one-room schoolhouse in Michigan, and then she was self-taught. Her mother was determined to give her a first-class education, so she was very well-read but it was all just in their own home. So she was a terrific writer and well-known for that and very popular for that. And once it was exposed that she was taking lessons and when it, in fact she got her pilot's lessons, it was, it, I mean, she got her pilot's license. It was a big deal. The New York Times, a lot of people wrote about it and she started flying in exhibitions all over the US and in fact, even in Mexico and places like that and made enormous money. I mean, it's ridiculous how much these people were getting paid back then, mainly because they didn't live very long most of the time. So the, they would sell out these events, these air shows, 10, 20, sometimes 100,000 people would come to these air shows. So the pilots were paid quite handsomely. She made enough money to take care of her parents and bring them to New York and put them up in the Hotel Victoria in Manhattan. Um, and when she died... Uh, there was a huge outpouring of, of sadness about this. There were people were lined up to try to get into her funeral. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of the, shall we say, bigoted uh, editorial uh, writers around the country in the newspapers said that this is proof positive that women shouldn't be able to fly, that they were not capable. They accused her of basically of fainting or any number of things. And we, and there was a, there was an investigation done on her accident and more than likely it was because the passenger behind her, who was a very heavy set man, she was taking him for a flight. He was the, he organized the meet. So she was taking him for a flight to practice the route she was going to take to try to break a record. He'd more than likely shifted in his seat. They hit some turbulence and he was thrown out. And once he was thrown out, the plane was unflyable. There was no ballast in the back that would, would balance the flight trim. So she, she was thrown from the plane as well and, and uh, fell about 1,500 to 2,000 feet to the salt flats off of the coast of Boston. Um, it was still very dangerous. I mean, they were incredibly yeah. brave people. Uh, Amelia Earhart described her as America's first great woman flyer. Um, I found it really interesting um, that, you know, as much of a badass as she seemed to have been um, and as much of a feminist as you would assume she would be, she was not pro-suffrage. Um, she did not support the women's suffrage movement. Why? Well, well you know what? She, I, I think she did support it, but she decided that rather than speaking or marching, she was going to ha- let her actions 
make the case for equality. Because what she didn't want to do was turn off half of the population. You have to remember, the suffrage back then was incredibly controversial and very unpopular with a large portion of, of the American public. So Harriet gave a lot of thought to this. And she at times wrote in her articles her, uh, that, uh, about equality and why women should be considered equal. She even at one point um, talked about women should have the right to vote because men haven't done very well when it comes to certain things like uh, back then what they called white slavery, which was uh, underage prostitution, that kind of thing. She wrote an article about that and was just scathingly critical of the police and the government for not protecting these young girls. And that's when she raised the issue of men aren't doing the job. Maybe women should have the right to vote to be able to do this. So I think she was in favor of it, but I think she, she treaded lightly to not turn off part of the population because her, her case was, see what I do, not what I say. She, as I said, she was one of the first women to drive a car, to own a car, one of the first journalists to use a typewriter. She was the first woman credited with writing a screenplay that was made into a movie. She wrote five screenplays for D.W. Griffith, who was very controversial in himself. He was the, the director of, of Birth of a Nation, which is horribly racist. But he's also considered the father of modern cinema because he created a lot of the angles and, and film techniques that we even use today. So she had so many firsts that she said, I, I am not, that's why this, the subtitle is, a life without limit. She decided early on she was not going to be limited by anything society tried to put on her, and she was going to live life her own way. I have to, if you could, be brief in in this this takeaway moment for you. I mean, this is something you you poured yourself into for a, a great most of the pandemic. I mean, you yeah. were writing this book. It sort of sustained you uh, at a time when a lot of us were stuck indoors. What, what What is your takeaway of Harriet's incredible story? You know, I think what one of the reasons, and, and honestly, one of the main reasons why I took this on, because it was very intimidating. You know, I've never written a biography. I've written novels and I've been a lifelong journalist, but I never wrote, you know, a 350 page biography of anybody. So there was a learning curve in that on how to do that. But I think mainly I wanted especially young women to know about this woman because she, her life lesson is if you're afraid you will never succeed, step out and do it. Follow your dreams. That's all cliche, but it's very true. And to me, that's the lesson that Harry Quimby offers the world is don't be afraid to do something that everyone else is telling you you can't do. Fearless is the name of the book, Harriet Quimby, A Life Without Limits. Don Daler is the author, a beautiful read. I'm so proud of you. Um, but you you never cease to amaze me, Don Day <laughs> Donnie D, as I like to call you. Congratulations on the book uh, and continued success. Thank you so much, Michelle. Great to talk to you. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. 
Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Do you ever feel like there's nothing new in the news? You know there are urgent things happening in the world around you, but all you hear is noise. That's why we made What Next? Our goal is to tell you the stories you haven't heard before, or maybe a different side to the story you thought you already knew all about. I'm Mary Harris, the host of What Next? And I love my job because it helps me cut through the noise of the news. And then I get to bring it to you. Together, we can figure out what next.